0: chapter in the Bible. It's only two verses long. And um, even though it's just two verses, it contains some of the, the central truths of who God is. And these truths are massive. And if we will actually believe them, it will completely change how we approach life and how we relate to other people and everything. So listen to Psalm 117 as I read. It's printing your order of worship if you don't have a Bible. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word right now, um, we, we pray that your spirit would work in us to help us to still our hearts before you. We pray that you'd help us to be still and that you'd help us to listen, that you'd help us to receive what you say here, and that you would help us to just rest. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in eighth grade, I uh, lived, our, our family lived in England at the time, and so we had these great opportunities to travel to Europe um, on, you know, school vacations and things like that. And one year, uh, we went to, um, we, we took a trip and, and on the trip, we stopped in Brussels, Belgium, and uh, my dad thought it would be a uh, a good educational, cultural experience to go visit this specific statue in Brussels called the Mannequin Piss. I don't know if any of you guys have heard of that before. I'd never heard of it when I was a kid, but uh, apparently people go, and when you're in Brussels, you, you go and visit this statue. But basically, it's a statue of a little boy going to the bathroom in a, in a uh, just, just, relieving himself in a uh, in in a pool of water basically and so as an 8th grade kid i was like yeah this sounds like it's worth seeing you know <laughs> and so we get there and we're walking down the street and uh, and all of a sudden we stumble upon this it's just like a little corner where there's this little statue and and i was i was i don't know what i was expecting but i was expecting something more but it was this little tiny little statue of this little boy and it's like i was like why are these people standing here looking at this? Like, why am I standing here looking at this? You know, is this, how is this really worthy of my attention? It was so unimpressive from what I expected to see. I'm not sure what I expected, but, but it just wasn't what I expected. It was, it was disappointing. It was a lot smaller than I thought it was gonna be. And uh, um, the, the one command that is given in Psalm 117 is praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Extol him. Praise the Lord, right? Multiple times, he tells us to praise God, to declare how great he is, um, to give him the attention that he deserves. Um, I, I think that we aren't as quick to give God the praise that he deserves. I think we, we um, kind of treat God as somebody who's kind of talked about a lot, but who's not as impressive as you know uh, people talk about him. That's the way we treat him. Um, but in fact, he's worth a lot more than we give him credit for. We he, we, we, he deserves way more praise than we really give him. He's way bigger than we really think in the way that we treat him. He's way bigger. And Psalm 117 is kind of an illustration of this. It's, it's the, you know, as I said, it's the shortest chapter in the Bible. It's just two little tiny verses here. But in these verses, you have these massive, massive, truths, these massive concepts about who God is, about how big He is, about how great He is. It's kind of like, I don't know how many of you guys have watched the show, uh, Doctor Who. Uh, if, you're, if you're a science fiction fan or if you watch Doctor Who, you know, you know he travels around in a time machine that looks like a, a British telephone booth, basically. And it's this, you know, just small British telephone booth, but every time anybody, any, every time anybody walks into the, tar- it's called the TARDIS, every time anybody walks into it, they realize inside it's massive. It's like everybody always comments, it's way bigger on the inside than the outside, you know, and you can get lost in this thing. And that's kind of what Psalm 117 is like. It's, it looks very small from the outside. But if you take some time to think about what these verses are actually saying, you could get lost in the greatness of who God is and what it says about him here. And so what I want to do this morning is, is kind of look at three reasons that we tend to think that God is smaller than we think, and we treat him as smaller than we think, and how Psalm 117 addresses those things. And, and hopefully that, that will move us to more fervent, more passionate praise of him, Okay. So I think one reason that we don't praise God as we should is because we think that God is so small that he's only big enough for me. He's only big enough for me. Well, what do I mean by that? We, I think we all have this tendency to kind of lay claim to God and to remake him in our own image. To think that God you know, is, is only like, uh, that, that he's so small that he likes the things I like that uh, he, he only kind of likes people that I'm comfortable with, that, uh, that he's only comfortable with kind of the, the culture that I'm a part of. Um, he's, he's the size of my preferences, my culture, my personality. And then we automatically exclude other people, you know, from like, I, I look at other people who look different, who maybe talk different, who, who have different cultural experiences, you know, who approach life differently, and I'm like, oh, th- God couldn't possibly speak to those people. He couldn't spot possibly speak through those people. You know, he's he's mainly just my God. You know, we we shrink God down to the size of my political party. You know, we shrink God down to to say you know he's he's really you know he's more American than anybody else. You know, um, we shrink God down to to just uh, the way that I speak, the way that I look, and and so I think. One of the ways that, that Psalm 117 addresses this is it says one, very first verse, it says, praise the Lord, all nations. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. Really, Psalm 117 is saying something very, very profound and something very pointed to the Israelite people, right? This, the, the, you gotta realize, the Psalms were originally written by and used by the Israelites, the people who thought that they, who believed that they were the chosen people of God. And so it's very easy for them to look around at all the other nations, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, the Ethiopians, whoever, and be like, no, God couldn't possibly be their God. He's only ours. And yet here in Psalm 117, God is speaking through the psalmist and saying, God is the God of all people. He's the God of all nations. No matter how different these other people might look to you, he's theirs as well. And he's worthy of their praise. And this should do two things for us, I think, practically speaking. Number one, it should move us to, to, to be more committed to gathering more people, different people from us, to come to know God, to share our faith with him, to share Jesus with them, because he deserves their praise and not just mine. Um. And that's something that we are committed to trying to do as a church. And I'm just going to give a plug. Today, after church, we're going to have a meeting in here to talk about how can we more faithfully and effectively share Jesus with the people around us who don't know him. And I urge you to be a part of that, whether you are a member here or not, whether you've been coming for a long time or not, whether you feel like you have, you're an expert on this or not. We need your input. We need to work on this together to figure out how can we best invite the nations, invite all people to know Jesus. Um, but secondly, I think it, it also points to the fact that, that if, if God is calling all people everywhere to praise him, people of all different you know, languages and cultures, then I can learn more about who God is by worshiping alongside people who are very different from me. I can learn about the, the kaleidoscope of how great God is and his creativity and the, the different people that he's made by, by investing in relationships with people who know Jesus and who are very different from me, who come from different cultures, who come from different backgrounds, who have different personalities. And so I should try to make an effort in my life not to just gravitate towards the people that are like me, but to, gravitate, but to invest in people that are very different from me and ask, what can I learn about how big God is from the way that you approach him? So, that's, that's the thing. God is way bigger than just my God. He is the, he's the God of all the earth, of all people, everywhere. Um, another reason we don't praise God as we should is because we, we tend to believe that God's love is so small that it's dependent on me. God's love is so small that it's dependent on me. Our, our experience, I think by and large in this world, is that love is often dependent. It's dependent on how I act, on how I perform, on if I fail or not. People treat me differently, whether I um, am a complete mess or whether I really feel like I'm worthy of their love, often. Doesn't that happen in this world a lot? Love is often dependent on what we put out. I, I, I thought i try to try to think of a few different examples, or two, a few different illustrations of this to hit different people in the air. So if you're a math nerd at all, I, I you know, was a math major in, high, in college, but uh, I remember in, in math, back, back in, in high school, junior high, we talked about, did anybody remember learning about functions, like f of x equals 2x squared or something like that? I'm sorry if I'm bringing up painful memories for any of you. <laughs> but. I mean, I was always taught that, like, a function is like a, a machine where you input something and you and then there's something that comes out of the machine. You know, if, you, if, if f of x equals 2x squared, you know, if you put 2 in, you get, what, 8? If you put 3 in, you get 18, maybe, okay? If, correct me if I'm wrong. So So depending on what you put in, you get something different out, right? And I think that's the way a lot of us treat love, you know? We get something different out if we put... Something different in, so we got to make sure we're putting the right things in. And and this impacts our relationship with God, right? I got to make sure that I'm that I'm trying really hard to be a really good person, so that God will love me more. I may I got to make sure I got to show up at church, um, or tell other people that I had a really good for not reason a good reason for not being there. So that I'll get God to love me more, right? Um, we do religious things. We we try to serve in certain ways, thinking that those things will make us more worthy and will get God to like us more, to love us more. Um, So that's one example. And another illustration is in the world of sports, if the math thing didn't help you. In the world of sports, um, I think professional athletes know this very well, that the love of the fans is completely dependent on how they perform. You know, if you score 60 points in the, final, in the NBA Finals, people are going to love you. People are going to want to buy your jersey. If you make a complete blunder, you know, and cost your team the World Series, people are going to hate you. They're going to burn your poster, right? Um, I, I saw this just at my, my own... Uh, the, the team, I follow soccer, and, and my favorite team is Tottenham Hotspur. They're, they're a team that's based in London. And uh, about a week ago... They played in a game, and, um, and they, they played against another team that was like, they were both in, the, in a similar place in the standings, and it was a really important game. And the first 20 minutes of the game, they gave up five goals. The other team scored five goals in 20 minutes. And a lot of, like, the, the pundits, a lot of the experts, you know, have been watching soccer all their lives. They're like, this is the worst 20 minutes of soccer we have ever seen a professional sports team play, ever. And, and they had a real point. And you know, afterwards, the, the fans were like, all on social media, they're like, I'm, I'm gonna quit being a Spurs fan, I'm done with this team, we gotta sell all the players, they're terrible, you know? Our love for them depended on how they performed. And they know that too, because actually, a day or two after the game, this is incredible, the, the team, the players on the team got together and they posted something on social media saying, if you attended that game, they would reimburse you for your ticket the players offered to reimburse fans for their tickets, knowing that, you know, they had to do something. (laughs) They had to do something different in order to maintain the love of their fans. Professional sports teams know this. Okay, one more illustration. We'll try to hit one last crowd, but uh, Sense and Sensibility is a great movie, isn't it? At least some of us think so. Um, Sense and Sensibility, based on the Jane Austen book, and uh, then there's a character named Marianne who's in love with this guy named Willoughby. He's this you know, dashing, charming, handsome guy. And she falls in love with him. And one of the things that, and, and you know, he's, he's, like, he's like implying that they're gonna get married. And one of the things they do, they love to read poetry to each other. They read Shakespeare. And uh, they read Shakespeare's, I think it's 116th sonnet, um, which says, love is not love, which alters when alteration finds or bends with the remover to remove, right? Love is not love. If it changes, depending on changes that happen with the person or the circumstance, or whatever. And, uh, and, it's, and, and they, she thinks that this guy's committed to her, they're gonna get married, and then all of a sudden, he just ghosts her. He just disappears. And she, she doesn't know what happened to him. And later on, she finds out that his aunt, I think his aunt was threatening to, to cut him off from the inheritance if he continued his relationship with her, and he needed to go find somebody that had more money that was more wealthy. And, uh, and, and that's exactly, you know, the opposite of what love is in that sonnet, right? His, his love was dependent on how much money she had, how worthy she was. And I think this is, this is often how we think God's love works. It's dependent on how worthy we are. It's dependent on, on how many good things we do. Or it's dependent on if we really mess up. But the reality is that God's love is not dependent on us, and that's exactly what Psalm 117 says. In, in verse 2, the very first half of verse 2, says, Great is his steadfast love toward us. That word steadfast love is a translation of the Hebrew word hesed, which we've talked about before. Um, but that word hesed is the, the kind of most um, similar concept in the New Testament is the idea of grace, But Hasid communicates a ton of things, and one of the things that it really communicates is this idea of of a loyal love, a love that is absolutely committed to a people, and that's not dependent on whether they succeed or fail, whether they perform or mess up. It's purely dependent on on God's character overflowing from him. That's what his steadfast love, that's what the, the word steadfast love is talking about that God's love is independent of our loveliness. It's independent of how we um, fail or succeed, how we perform. And this is is radical if we will simply believe it, that God's going to love me. He's going to love me. No matter how bad this sermon is today, he's going (laughs) to love me. He's going to love me. No matter how many mistakes I make in the ways that I raise my kids, he's going to love me. No matter how many good things I do, it's not going to make him love me more. His love is certain. It's not dependent on me. It's dependent on Jesus and what he has done. We don't praise God as we should because we think, we think he loves like anyone else. We treat his love as conditional and transactional and dependent. But if we grasp how big God's love is for us, then that it's certain no matter what, that if we have received the work of Jesus, then we can count on the fact that God loves me. Then that, that should, that, that will fuel our praise of him. That will fuel it. Lastly, we don't praise as we should because we believe that God's faithfulness is so small that it can't completely support me. It can't completely support me. The second half of verse two focuses on another characteristic of of God that is core to who he is. It it, it focuses on his faithfulness. It says, the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. The word faithfulness, the Hebrew word for faithfulness is is emet. It's emet, so, um, and, and the word emet is really talking, it can be translated faithfulness or it can also be translated truth. But really what it's communicated is what's communicating is that, that um, if God is amet, if his Amet endures forever, it means that He's completely trustworthy. He's completely and totally trustworthy. Everything that He says He will do, everything that He promised, it's just as certain now as it was when He first said it. We can totally trust Him. We can put the full weight of our lives upon him and upon who He is and upon what he says. We can rest upon him and know that we're not going to go anywhere. He's completely faithful and trustworthy. He can hold us up no matter how heavy we are. He can hold us up. Um, I think we uh, struggle to believe that God can support our weight. He can support the weight of our life. He, that He can support the weight of our, our worries and our concerns and our struggles and our longings in our dreams. I think we we struggle to believe that he really can support us. There's a a really funny scene in the TV show, The Office. I don't know how many of you guys watch The Office, but I know some of you do. But uh, there's this one scene where uh, there, like 20 years ago, there was this really big fad called parkour, and people still do it. You guys know what parkour is? Where people, you know, they would often video themselves like running off the side of a wall and doing flips from building to building and jumping over all of these obstacles in these really acrobatic ways. And uh, and in the, in the office, there's these three kind of comedic characters, you know, Michael, Dwight, and Andy, and they're all obsessed with, you know, doing parkour themselves. But their version of parkour was basically just running around the office like kicking trash cans and running into the wall and, and like leaning on people and doing leapfrog over each other. And they would just do all these like silly, small little things and be like parkour, parkour, parkour. And they, you know, in, in the end it, it shows them standing on top of a box truck in the parking lot. And they're standing up there, kind of believing in themselves a little too much. And uh, Michael's got his phone out to film Andy and Andy's like, okay, truck to dumpster. Oh, no, he's, he's like, truck to refrigerator box, to dumpster. And then 360 spin onto the pallets, and then half gainer backflip into the trash can. And then they're like, yes, okay, okay. And then Andy goes, and, he, and then he jumps to land on this big refrigerator box. And as soon as his feet touch the top of the box, they go through the top of the box. And then he just disappears from view. He, like, ends up in the refrigerator box after jumping off of this truck, and you just hear him feebly be like, Parkour! <laughs> And I I think, we think that, you know, if we really put the weight of our hopes and our dreams and our expectations and our longings and our anxiety, if we really put it on God, that maybe he's just gonna be like an empty refrigerator box. He's not really gonna hold us up. And so what we do, all of us, I think we do, is we put just maybe a little bit of weight on God But then we keep the rest of our weight on all sorts of other things. We count on those things to hold us up, to take care of us. Whether it's our career or a raise that we're hoping to get or our education or our grades um, or the admiration and love of other people um, or our our kids, you know, telling us that they love us. Um, we, We put our weight on all sorts of other things counting on those things to really hold us up. And then we come to church and we just put a little pinky toe on God. But God is more than solid enough to hold you and to take care of you and to support you. I think we wonder, will he really come through for me? But... Psalm 117, verse 2, and I think the rest of scripture reminds us. His faithfulness endures forever. His emet is more than strong enough to meet every single one of our needs. And he invites us to put the full weight of our lives on him. And so this is the core of who God is. He is worthy of the praise of all people. He is a God of great hesed and of enduring amet a God of steadfast love and faithfulness, a God of grace and truth. And this is why we must praise him with everything that is in us. There, there's, a, there's an interesting word that I think all of you guys are very familiar with, and every, probably every single one of you has used and maybe used often, and it's the word, amen. Has anybody not used that word? Um, I think for a lot of us, though, that word is kind of empty of meaning. We just kind of say it, you know, we say it, and when, when you're at church and somebody finishes praying, you, you know that that's the word you're supposed to say. Amen. Uh, or maybe if you pray before a meal, you know you know that that's the word you're supposed to say at the end of the prayer. Amen. Um, there's a, a great scene in the movie While You are Sleeping, if any of you guys have seen that, where they're standing in mass and 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 there's a father and son who are like having this big, long discussion during Mass, and the, the priest up front is like reciting all the prayers and everything, and they know enough that in the middle of their, they are even arguing with each other. In the middle of their argument, they would be often, often pause and just say, Amen, with the rest of the crowd, you know, knowing that that's what they're supposed to say when they're supposed to say it, but it's empty, and I think for a lot of us, that word is empty of meaning. Um, do you know what Amen means, or Amen? It's, it, it actually is tied to this word, emet. It's tied to this word that means faithfulness and truth, And it it means that's truth with an exclamation point. It's a word of faith. It's a word of belief. It's a word where you're agreeing wholeheartedly. Yes. And so that's why we say it at the end of prayers. When somebody prays something, we're saying yes. Yes. But it's also a word that we should, it's a word of faith that we should be saying back to the greatness of God when we hear, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. We should respond by saying, amen. Yes. I know there are some churches where people, as as the the person's preaching, the people will often say, "Amen." amen. Thank you, John. I would prefer if you guys would say that more often. So I know that somebody's actually listening once in a while. Feel free. Feel free to say it. But that's what amen amen means. And you know what? As you continue reading through the Bible, you get to to 2 Corinthians 1. You know what it says in 2 Corinthians 1? It talks about how Jesus is the yes and amen to all of God's promises. Through Jesus, we say yes and amen. It's it's Jesus that's the fulfillment of, you know, Psalm 117 is the heart of who God is. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. He's the one where we experience the steadfast love of God, the love that's not dependent on what I do. Or what I don't do. It's in Jesus that we experience the faithfulness, the enduring faithfulness of God that will hold me up no matter what. It's through Jesus that we say yes and amen. You know, these, these two concepts who are at the heart of who God is, the fact that he's, that he's full of steadfast love and faithfulness, his Hased and his Amet, I've already mentioned it once, you could also translate these as he's full of grace and truth. What does John 1 say about Jesus? John 1 says, the law came through Moses, but what? Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He is the one through whom we experience the fullness of God. And he is the one through whom, and in response to whom, we should say, amen. 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 in praise of God. Amen in surrender to him amen, and, and saying, I'm going to put the full weight of, of everything that I hope for and expect in life on you, God, and on you, Jesus. Amen. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would break through our hard hearts, that we would see the, the magnitude of what is here, the, these are maybe simple things that, that we hear about a lot, we, we hear about your love, we hear about your faithfulness, but, but Father, it's so much bigger, it's so much greater that, that we really give you credit for, and, and Father, help us to respond by crying amen to how great you truly are, that you would get the praise you deserve We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We now have an opportunity to meet Jesus at the Lord's table. And as we approach the Lord's table, let's take a moment to confess our sin, to confess our need for God's grace, our need for his steadfast love, our need for his...